You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good, I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. You are listening to the LI News Radio Network here on 103.9 FM. Sponsored by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. No, this is not Errol Marks. He's away. He'll be back though next week. He will return. But I'm filling in. This is Josh Silverberg hosting the show with Mr. Worldwide Sports Radio Network himself. Speedy Petey, how are you, sir? Thank you for that title. I'm very honored. Doing well. Hope you survived the monsoon. It's gotten to the point, Speedy, where it's almost like I feel like I'm in Florida at this point because it rains all the time, nonstop. I'm seeing 10 inches of rain. Brooklyn is getting flooded. Sea lions are escaping the Central Park Zoo because of the flood. It's gotten out of control to this point, but the weather is turning. It's supposed to turn tomorrow. Just in time for the New York Jets and the Kansas City Chiefs, which we will lead right into that with the New York Jets and their lovely, amazing season they've had so far, being at 1-2. <laughs> and two, and a great showing by the New York Jets last week, led by the powerful and great Zach Wilson, who was put on a stake last week and shredded by everybody. Joe Namath had a lot to say about him this past week. It just does not end with ripping this kid. I'm a Jet fan. And what does Errol call me, Mr. What? Negative. And I don't want to say I told you so, but I told you so. The New York Jets are in massive trouble, and if they think that Trevor Simeon coming in on the practice squad is going to make things better, it is not. That's not even a big story. The big story is the Swifties are coming out this week. Oh, yeah. They're coming out, baby. They're going strong. There's people buying tickets just to be in the same building as Taylor Swift, which is insane. Sunday Night Football ran their promotion video with her song singing Welcome to New York. I got Mama Kelsey in the suite with Taylor when they're winning 41 to 10 and she's saying, you know what, I'm not going to repeat it. And then she's hanging out with Patrick Mahomes' wife at a party. So she's clearly put herself into the picture of a Kansas City Chief fan for the time being until she writes a song about Travis Kelsey and what a bad dude he is. And it'll be another number one hit. I like Taylor Swift. Then she'll go date somebody on the Bengals to annoy Travis Kelsey. And then she's going to wear a Bengals jersey and she's going to go, who day? She won't even know what it means. But the New York Jets are in a lot of trouble. We knew this once Aaron Rodgers went down and the report is Aaron Rodgers is going to be at the stadium Sunday. He's already on crutches. He is already walking somewhat. He's trying to maybe give the team some confidence and he had his interview with Pat McAfee this past week about saying that he wants the team to get rid of the stuff on the sidelines. Then I have Jeff Ulbrich and Nathaniel Hackett saying we all need to do better. And I have Robert Salas saying that Zach needs to do better. We're all throwing blame at Zach Wilson, right? Rightfully so. We're throwing blame at Robert Salas. He's part of the problem. I don't know what you expect Robert Sala to say. Would you like him to say his quarterback stinks? It will never happen. The guy that should be getting more blame for this whole situation is Joe Douglas. Joe Douglas went to the season with a 39-year-old quarterback. Fine. No problem with it. Aaron Rodgers still had something left in the tank. And I still believe he does. He'll be back next year with this team. Unless he's like Max Scherzer and Kevin Durant <laughs> and, and Patrick Kane, where we're just going to get guys that are older and they just don't pan out. And Max Scherzer's hurt again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Patrick Kane is going to go somewhere else and Kevin Durant went somewhere else. The trend of getting older vets continues. I'm not even getting to the Knicks. There's a laundry list of that. Let me go Steve Francis with the New York Jets. Joe Douglas did a disservice to this organization and to his quarterback, Zach Wilson. One, he wanted Zach Wilson to redshirt. I want him to sit and learn from a legend, from a four-time MVP winner and a Super Bowl champion. So if you wanted him to redshirt for the season, in college, when you redshirt somebody, they don't play at all. You have other quarterbacks that are ahead of them so they can learn, sit, understand systems, understand different 
different tendencies. Watch game action. The New York Jets said, nah, we're going to stick to Zach being the backup. And I said at the time, that's a mistake. You could have signed a veteran quarterback behind Aaron Rodgers, and you really could have let Zach sit and learn and listen and watch. And instead, you put him in an absolute miserable position. And I can't think of an even worse situation for him to be in than this Sunday night. On national TV, at home in front of those Jet fans, Taylor Swift being in attendance and all these people are going to be watching. And against the best quarterback in football. You can't think of an even more negative position than Zach is being put in for Sunday. I think the defense will keep it close to a certain extent. But then it's going to get to a point with Speedy where... What's going to happen is it's going to get too much three and out, three and out, three and out, and then the defense is going to have to consistently be on the field, and then that's going to be a problem. My other issue with the Jets is, and I said this on Game On last week, by the way, I'm going to do a cheap plug here. Check out 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.com website. He doesn't have Sauce Gardner follow the best player, but Darrell Rivas used to do that. So Jeff Wolbrick is basically telling me that his team doesn't do a halftime adjustments. There's so many problems and layers to this whole situation that it's amazing how we went from Super Bowl contender to disaster, and I think the best thing that could probably happen to the Jets this year is that they stink. They get to keep their first round pick and they draft one of these quarterbacks. I don't think they're going to be bad enough to get Caleb Williams, but you got Drake May, Bo Nix, Michael so, Penix, yeah. and I know the kid from Duke who Errol keeps raving about. Riley Leonard. You have so many players that are going to be on this draft list that there's so many good quarterbacks coming out. This is a prime opportunity for the Jets to get actually a quarterback and redshirt that quarterback. Get a veteran to back up Aaron Rodgers next year. I don't care. It could be Trevor Simeon. And then you let that quarterback sit for the next year or two and watch Aaron Rodgers. Now, how will Aaron Rodgers be affected by the Zach Wilson possibly getting released? Aaron Rodgers could go to Woody Johnson and say, no, 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 sir. Zach's still going to be here. And then that's when Woody Johnson's not going to have a choice. But to keep Zach Wilson. But I think the damage has been done already. And we talk about getting Kirk Cousins, Ryan Tannehill, because the report that Josina Anderson said the Jets don't want to put all this money into getting another veteran quarterback in here with the money. They don't want it to step on Aaron Rodgers' toes if Aaron comes back. By the time Aaron Rodgers comes back, they're going to be 3-10. and 10. I just don't understand where you're coming from with this. They're also 9.5 under the cap. You can't go get a Ryan Tannehill to be serviceable. I just don't understand it. You're throwing away the season. And is the locker room divided? Is it not divided? I don't know. I'm not in there. Just remember that Zach Wilson is a human being. And then you got Joe Namath saying it's disgusting with how he's played. It's interesting to me. Yeah, it's gotten really bad to the point of Zach Wilson having the lack of maturity and coachability, I think, really has hurt the locker room. You've seen Garrett Wilson get frustrated, and Errol and I have had many fantasy guys on our show in the past that have said that when Garrett Wilson is targeted by any other quarterback, a top five performance receiver in the league. With Zach Wilson, you would never know that he's there. That kind of thing is frustrating somebody that's turning into one of the rising young receivers in the league. you got somebody, Brees Hall, that's definitely one of the rising young running backs. And these are on rookie contracts. A ton of upside are getting held back by bad quarterback play and bad offensive line play. And the coaching has not helped either. Nathaniel Hackett is horrible. You can't stack the box with the run against Bill Belichick. He knows what to expect. I think he's coaching too much to different extremes, too. It's even in the game they won against the Bills. Had the one concept of overloading the right, which ended up working, he would not go back to that. Or he would try to get too cute with all these random wide receivers, and it just did not work. Garrett Wilson got a good target share that week. Fine, but that was really it. Where is McCall Hardman? Why is Randall Cobb getting 40% of the 
the snaps and Harvin's getting 3%. Where's Jeremy Rucker, who's a million times better than CJ Usuma? You want veterans to play? Fine, but I don't want garbage veterans playing. I want good veterans playing, not bad ones. The defensive side, there's just no adjustments, even besides just sauce, too. The sauce thing is really bad in itself. The fact that CD Lamb, you see him going off in the first quarter of that Dallas game, and you make no adjustments to stop him then. Stefan Diggs in week one, I'll give them more credit for maneuvering Diggs around, but still, he had 10 catches for 102 yards. That kind of adjustment has to happen. That was the thing I said coming into the year with the Jets. As good as their talent was in comparison to the rest of the division, which a lot of people believed it was the number one roster, the coaching staff was still last to me, and that was the one thing, even with the quarterback injuries, that concerned me. As far as the Jets' corresponding moves, Trevor Simeon is definitely not the answer. He's been a journey But would he be better than Zach? Yeah, that's yeah. I think The only quarterback that could be worse than Zach is maybe Justin Fields. Fields, I don't think, is being utilized the right way in Chicago. And Fields has a little more leeway with quote-unquote excuses than Zach Wilson has. Like, the Jets have a ton of talent with their running backs and the wide receivers. Chicago has good talent. DJ Moore, Darnell Mooney's pretty good, but he's hurt right now. The Bears' running game is very questionable. Offensive line has injuries, too. Similar to the Jets, but Justin Fields has a little more leeway with that kind of thing that Zach Wilson does right now and doesn't have that carryover stench from last season either. The Jets are now trying to poach quarterbacks from free agency. Trevor Simeon is a journeyman quarterback. Reports that Colin Kaepernick wrote a letter. That's what you're going to. You can just try to make a trade like right now for one of these veteran guys and make the cap work. We've seen other teams do that. Options are there. There's obviously teams that have big quarterback contracts that are not going to contend. Make the move now before it gets too pricey and it gets too desperate before your season is lost because remember where all the money goes for Aaron Rodgers next season. It's going to be into next year. So a lot of these guys are not going to be able to be kept and the year after that, if Rodgers is still playing, they're going to have to start paying Sauce and Garrett Wilson if they still want to stay there. Premium position money. And that's going to be very hard. I'm just still trying to figure out where they're going to go with this whole situation. Are we really going to throw the season away? But I just don't understand why people are not giving the blame to Joe Douglas enough. He did a disservice. You can't put a 39-year-old Dwayne Brown who had no preseason at all at left tackle. Brown bent over after Rodgers went down. He knew what happened. He knew he screwed up. But Aaron also held the ball on too long. Maybe David Bakhtiari will be here next year. If he can even stay healthy. David Bakhtiari is basically the older version, well, and way better version of Makai Becton. Do you want to go take a chance on another injury-prone tackle? The New York Jets are in for a long season. Again, the silver lining is we come back, you draft the quarterback. Bring the quarterback in, let the quarterback sit for a year. And I don't want Aaron Rodgers telling Woody Johnson, no, Zach has to stay. He can't. <laughs> if you're Aaron Rodgers, you're doing a disservice by keeping Zach here. Let's get on to the other New York team. New York Giants! Thank you bad offensive line. <laughs> they got a tough Monday night game. So it's kind of nice, right? Both New York teams, Sunday night, Monday night, so you could just enjoy your Sunday during the day. Taylor Swift will not be in the building. No, Taylor Swift will not be in the building. Monday night, they will be playing the Seattle Seahawks, you know, Smith's revenge game. That's probably what's going to happen. I think the Seattle Seahawks first up there are a better road team. Let's not discredit what the Giants are. I don't think Saquon's going to rush back to this team because... Of the contract. I think he's still perceived at them. He's still annoyed with them for how everything unfolded. I think this is going to be a tough game for them. Seattle's a very good road team. How are they going to be able to stop DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett? And the run game. Because the run defense for the Giants has been very eh. And then, of course, you have Daniel Jones, who just doesn't have anything on offense. Same issue as last year. Now, if the Giants lose this game, I think they go 1-5. And, and then their season's over. The promising baseball season we have with the Mets and the Yankees, 
kaput. The promising football season with the Jets and the Giants we thought we were going to have done. And then we just have to wait for basketball and hockey. And we just spin our wheels. This is the problem with the New York Giants. Is I don't think Joe Shane did enough to help Daniel Jones this offseason. And I don't think Daniel Jones should have gotten that contract. I think that season the Giants had last year was horrible for their future. The problem is you now give Daniel Jones that extension. Daniel Jones did not deserve that extension. They could have drafted a quarterback. And I think what they should have done was they should have just had Tyrod Taylor be the vet starter this year. I think they should have let both Jones and Barkley walk. Restart, refresh, let Dable do his own thing on the offensive side of the ball. So like they did in Buffalo, it was very similar. Yep, that's exactly what they did. They drafted Josh Allen, Tyrod Taylor was a starter. Now the Giants are stuck with Daniel Jones as his quarterback for the next three years guaranteed. A lot of money and nothing to show around for him to help. They have Hyatt, Waller, not healthy, Barkley, not healthy. It's the same song and dance. And this is why the Giants' slasher hurt them more than it helped them. San Francisco, blasted. Dallas, crushed. They are not close. Seattle might beat them up too this weekend. Seattle's a very good team that a lot of people are not talking about because their defense has been down this year. Well, Jamal Adams is coming back this week. Box safety. The Seahawks accumulated so much other depth with their secondary too. Now, granted, Tariq Woolen is not healthy either. That's hurt them a little bit, but they dropped the Devon Witherspoon. They signed former giant Julian Love, who has played well so far, bolstered up that that front seven. So this Giants offensive line is going to have a lot to have to figure out this week. Andrew Thomas, he probably is going to play, but will he be able to come back? Evan Neal stinks to Evan Neal in pass protection. By the way, let me ask you, has Joe Shane with Thibodeau and Neal, has Joe Shane done a draft pick so far that you've said, wow, this guy is elite? Elite, no. he's not getting any of the blame. I would say his day three picks, though, have been good so far. A lot of them have made impacts on defense this season. Micah McFadden's actually played very well. Yeah, but he screwed up on the day ones. Dane Belton, who's now their starting safety, he's actually been one of the bright spots on this defense so far. I think some of their draft picks this year have looked good. Like you said, Hyatt still has a lot to figure out with his drops, but I think he's still can develop, and I think the Giants got good value because he was supposed to be kind of a second-round value, so I'll give him more credit with that. You're right. The day one flops with Neal, especially in pass protection, is definitely concerning. The Giants might have to move him to guard, experiment with that, maybe try a veteran tackle. As far as this trajectory for this season, it's going to be very hard for the Giants without these receivers. They're lacking a lot with key positions in a passing era, and wide receivers, they have way too many slot types. Offensive line, they have so many issues. Schmitz has played well. Andrew Thomas has played all right, but he's still not not what he was last year and is not playing to the contract and Daniel Jones he's not gonna do well if you force him to pass at more of a volume and that's gonna hurt the Giants if they don't have Saquon Barkley both because of the injury and also if they don't have him long term maybe if they struggle they trade him at the deadline if he doesn't want to stay there and they have to figure out what to do to get Daniel Jones to get him in a higher volume because you committed that money to him you have to have to make this work Mike Kafka who play calling has been very bad this year Kafka should have taken that job opportunity when he had a chance you look at the Giants the way they're built right now. It's just they don't have enough depth to sustain like they did last year, too. Like, last year, their edge-rushing depth when Thibodeau was hurt and Ojolari was hurt played well at the beginning of the season. Last year, their receiving depth when everyone got hurt still sufficed enough. And even the tight ends before they got Waller were playing well before that. You're not seeing that same kind of thing this year. I'm definitely concerned about the Seattle game. Seattle's a good team that's going to find its groove on defense again, and their offense is loaded, so this is going to be a tough matchup for this New York Giants team. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for our three-for-all picks where I'm going to outsmart Speedy again, just 
like I do on my show and like I do on his show, where we do picks for over-unders for three games. So we will start in London. Taylor Swift will not be in London. but No, definitely not. The Atlanta Falcons and Jacksonville Jaguars will be 43 and a half. I'm going to take the under in this one. It is going to be, I think, a lower scoring game. I think the Jaguars need to have a get right game for them, but I don't think it's going to be as high scoring as possible. I have to see a little more from Trevor Lawrence right now. I'm very concerned about this offense, which I'm shocked because Doug Pearson is one of the brightest offensive minds in football. I don't know what's going on with the regression with Trevor Lawrence. I don't trust Desmond Ritter. I think the Jaguars really just need to stack the box, try to get Robinson, even though it takes like four or five guys to tackle him. Kyle Pitts has done nothing this year. Drake London has done nothing this year. And you're starting to see the effect of what Desmond Ritter has on these guys. I am going to take Jacksonville. I'm going to go with the under 43 and a half. I agree with you. I like Jacksonville. Their run defense has been pretty good. Even against the Texans last week, Damian Pierce did have his best game, but still wasn't an amazing game. I don't think you're going to see that same kind of efficiency in the first two weeks of the season. So I think you're going to see that Falcons team really have to pass the ball a little more. Can Desmond Ritter start to stretch the field? He's really been an efficient passer, but not really a guy that isn't using Drake London and Kyle Pitts to their best skill sets. And I think Jacksonville, that's where you have to test them against. And then defensively for Jacksonville, too. I like their front seven. Offensively, I like their receiving depth to be able to counter the Falcons secondary depth, which is still very young. Now, their pass defense has done well with A.J. Terrell playing well, but I don't know if they have enough edge rushing to attack that bad Jacksonville offensive line. So I like Jacksonville in this one on the under. Baltimore Ravens and the Cleveland Browns. The over-under is 41. I think it's going to be a defensive game. Washington's not healthy. I think they'll be able to stop Lamar, meaning Cleveland's defense. I'm going to go with the under in this one. I'm going to take Cleveland. I'm very hesitant on Baltimore right now. Something doesn't seem right about them. They're playing down to their competition, which they should not be doing. I know they have injuries. A ton of injuries. They always do every year. This (laughs) is their ritual. I like where Cleveland still is even without Nick Chubb. They're running the one. So you would expect Amari Cooper to be able to continue getting more involved in the offense for this week. I'm going to take the under, though, defensive game, and I'm going to take the Cleveland Browns. I call the Chargers the least clutch team in football. The Ravens are the most fragile team in football, and they have seven starters out again. They have a doubtful Ronnie Stanley. That offensive line, which already lost two starters from last year, J.K. Dobbins out for the year, and not much with the receivers. Really, the only consistent thing so far this year has been Zay Flowers. Even Mark Andrews has had his issues, as well as Lamar Jackson. The defense has been better this year, but the Browns' defense has been really good with Jim Schwartz. That pass rush has been insane. And even Watson but you knew it was going to happen. And offensively, I don't know if Watson's going to be great, but I don't think he's really going to need to be. I think he just has to be efficient and spread the ball around. So I like the Browns on the under. Miami Dolphins, who just scored 70 points against the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. The over-under 53 and a half. Oh, I'm definitely going to go over on that one. 110%. I love where the Dolphins are right now in regards to how that offense is playing. The weather is still not terrible in Buffalo, so that's going to help dramatically to get the Buffalo game early in the season for Miami. Jordan Poyer out for this game. Huge loss for Buffalo. Miami almost beat them with Skylar Thompson last year in the playoff. In Buffalo. Give me the Dolphins in this one and give me the over, though. It's going to be a high-scoring game. We agree on the over, but I'm going to take the Bills. Miami is not going to have those same level of the flash runs you saw last week. Raheem Mostert having a 70-yard touchdown. And even against the Patriots, he had a 70-yard touchdown. I know their rookie, A-Chain, played very well as well. I think he will actually continue to play well because I think Buffalo could be a little more vulnerable to those screen passes. But Bills linebacker have actually played really well this year, even losing Tremaine Edmonds. And their pass rush has done good. Their run defense has been good ever since that week one against the Jets where Brees Hall was lighting him up. They've played very well since then against Josh Jacobs and again against Washington with Brian Robinson. And Tredavious White, he has played like his pro Bowl self again. And that's going to help at least limit this Miami offense. 
just enough where the Bills can win it in a shootout. So give me the Buffalo Bills in this one. I am going to take them on the over. Thank you so much for that. When we come back, we're going to continue with the NFL trend. The boys did a great interview, Errol and Speedy, on their show, The Loudmouth. Ex-pass rusher, Jeremy Mincy. We used to play for the Jacksonville Jaguars, Denver Broncos, and the Dallas Cowboys. We got to sit down and talk with the guys about his career and everything going on in the NFL. Check that out when we come back with the Weekend Crunch here on 103.9 FM, the LI News Radio Network. We are back here on 103.9 FM, the LI News Radio Network. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Josh Silverberg. Of course, the co-host here, Mr. Speedy. Petey. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a great interview for you that Errol and Speedy got to have this past week with Jeremy Mincy, former edge rusher for the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Denver Broncos, and the Dallas Cowboys. Take a listen to it. We're now talking to former Jaguars, Broncos, and Cowboys defensive end and producer Jeremy Mincy. Jeremy, what's up? What's up, fellas? How y'all doing today? You look good, man. You look happy. You look like everything's going on. As your shirt says, bash. Yeah, that's my old event I used to do back in the day. (laughs) I'm good, though, fellas. Glad y'all got me on. You look good. Everything's good except probably the three football teams that you played for. The Jacksonville (laughs) Jaguars. I don't know what's going on right now with that organization. Look really, really good. They went all the way into the playoffs. They came back against the Chargers last year. They went into the semifinals. You would think that they were going to even have a better year. I had them going to the Super Bowl this year. Then you have the Broncos. Oh my God. You had Sean Payton come out, attack Nathaniel Hackett, how terrible of a coach he was last year, and coaching Russell Wilson. He's been laying up lousy goose eggs. As a matter of fact, the Miami Dolphins laid up a 70 against him this past week. And then there's the Dallas Cowboys. They lose a Diggs brother, and now everybody's crying over there that they can't stop anything, and they lose against probably the worst team, a losing organization in the Arizona Cardinals this week. Jeremy, what is going on with your teams, man? Oh, man, I I, I can't tell you. I'm just as clueless, but I'll tell you about that Miami game. When I dissected the game, the Broncos' defense just was horrible. But as a team, they didn't play as bad as I thought. I just thought Miami just did some magical things, man. Like, all cylinders just clicked. As far as the Cowboys, they pissed down their legs with that one. I don't know how they (laughs) lost to a backup. It's crazy. And my Jags, I don't know what's going on. One of the big things that was uh, hurting a lot of defensive linemen last year was the roughing the passer rules exchange. You can't leverage on the quarterback now. And you being a former defensive lineman, what are your thoughts on that? I'm just glad I'm retired. I'm past that era, dude, because I would have probably had a million fines and suspended. Ain't no telling what, man. I'm just glad I'm past that phase. But I think the league has just been a little bit too soft. I know we're trying to protect everybody and things of that nature, but it's been a lot of great hits, great legal hits from our perception, you know, from our eye. But they're calling it, and it's costing teams big games. It's ridiculous. During the first three games of the season this year, it's been better because it killed a lot of games last year. It hurt a lot of teams, especially in the fourth quarter, 15-yard penalties, which teams came back and won, and it cost maybe one or two teams from making the playoffs. So it hasn't happened as bad from last year. We are talking to former Jaguars, Broncos, and Cowboys defensive end Jeremy Mincy. Everybody thought that the AFC was going to dominate this year with the talented talented young quarterbacks there, Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes, even Aaron Rodgers. Coming into the AFC, the AFC East with the New York Jets, and he gets hurt in four plays. What are your thoughts on why the NFC has been more dominant than the AFC early this season? I think it's just the style of recruit. One thing about the NFC teams, dude, they see a good player on the board, they go for it. I don't think they're trying to be so scientifically correct. We passed on so many great quarterbacks for Blaine Gabbert. Nothing against Gabbert, that's my guy. But there was guys that we knew that could play 
And instead, we tried to be geniuses and things of that nature. I say just go get the best player, and that's what the NFC is good at, just going to get the best player. Wayne Gabbert was high in that draft, too, for a lot of people. They also just had a good year from David Garrard, too, so that was very surprising. Blaine Gabbert was actually the bigger prospect than Cam Newton. I thought he was going to be a better player than Cam Newton at the time. He was, and Cam Newton, his size and his ability, and he won a national championship with Auburn. It gets frustrating sometimes with these organizations, and they're just passing up so much talent. It was one year they could have signed me and Mario Williams, and I think that would have been dominant. We could have fed off each other and, and helped our defense be elite. And we would have still had David Garrard if they would have done the right thing. So I just think it's the players they're choosing. I think the NFC teams take a chance on. They see what it is and they take it for what it is instead of trying to look like a genius as a GM. I'm just going to make the smart decision that's best for my team. I don't care what people think. I'm just going to grab that kid because we all know he's good. We all know he's going to produce. And that's the mentality in the NFC. And that's why they are usually the more dominant conference. I really believe everybody thought that the AFC had the more dominant defenses, and I think the NFC has had the more dominant defenses. Philadelphia, Atlanta's played pretty well this year. San Francisco, the Cowboys, the Commanders have been a very good defensive team. I think a lot of these teams where everybody thought that the NFC was going to be weaker defensively have been more stronger. The weaker defenses in the NFC falling apart, like Minnesota. Minnesota was very weak last year, and even going into this year, they didn't really upgrade any position. They've got worse at that position. Position, and you can see the difference right now. They're 0-3. The close games that they won last year, they're losing the close games this year. So it's a different perspective. You're a former defensive player in the NFL. Do you see the difference in the NFC and the way some of these NFC defenses are from the AFC? Absolutely. The thing about the NFC is they're really good at choosing position specifics. They know how to find a good power and speed combination with balance as opposed to the AFC. Big, tall, little slower defensive ends. They can play the run, but they can't get out the quarter quarterback as good as the NFC guys. It's mm-hmm. weird, but I just think the NFC got a better taste in finding certain talent. Oh, we got a nice kid here. This defensive end, he can already palm a basketball <laughs> at, at seven. Seven <laughs> years old palming a basketball. I'm lucky if I could palm a cup. I got big feet and small hands. It makes no sense. I'm an alien. I'm a Chris. What were your thoughts on some of those defensive tackle contracts? Can you see a point now, especially now that I'm getting drafted earlier too, where they can become just as valuable as an edge rusher? I think they are. I mean, internal pressure is, is key especially if you want to win a Super Bowl. Think back to all the teams that won KC with big man in the middle, killer. Aaron Donald in the middle playing the three, killer. Warren Sapp, Tampa Bay, Buccaneers. You got to have a balanced rush in the big guys. It starts with the big guys, honestly. They say it starts with the ends, but it starts with the big guys to me because I played defensive end, and I know how critical – it is for those guys to get up field and you can wrap around them and do certain things. When they taking up all, eating up all the gaps, it makes a defensive end job a lot easier. We are talking to former Jaguars, Broncos, and Cowboys defensive end Jeremy Mincy, friend of the show. We love him, Jeremy. There's been a lot of talk over the last couple of weeks. Who are the top five defensive players in the league? I'm going to give you eight guys. You're going to give me your top five: Aaron Donald, Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, T.J. Watt, Micah Parsons, Miles Garrett, Chris Jones. Jones, Sauce Garner. Give me your top five right now. Michael Parsons. As your number, number one. one. Aaron Donald, number two. Mm-hmm. Nick Bosa, number three. Garrett, number four. And my fifth would be the big man in the middle from KC. So you don't like T.J. Watt? Mm-hmm. T.J. Watt is really good. I spoke on internal pressure.
pressure. You might have fish every now and then. Like, it's been a lot of tackles getting hurt, and they become liabilities, and defensive end going to eat off of it. So I think a lot of stats have been coming from injured tackles or not-so-up-to-par tackles because this year the league is kind of lacking uh, offensive tackles. It's weird. That internal pressure is just so much more important. These quarterbacks are getting the ball off. You don't have guys dropping back, just sitting there. They're they getting rid of the ball. They run it. It's hard to deter them from their goals if we're not getting internal pressure. And Nick Bosa, too, he's a dog, man. I love him. He's a dog. And you dog. forget Sauce Gardner and even Quinn Williams. Yes, at the top of the charge, though, is Michael Parsons. I beg you to can, differ. You can line him up anywhere. Like, but you could do that with T.J. Watt. T.J. Watt right now leads the league in sacks, six sacks. Mike has four. T.J. Watt, you can line him up inside. You can line him up on the outside. He's fantastic. I think people underestimate how good T.J. Watt is because of who his brother was, and that was J.J., and he's way better than his brother is. 80 he sacks. Is. He's yeah. way better than he his is. brother he is. is. Now, that I agree. I came in the league. I remember his first breakout game. It was against us, the Jaguars. He, Where did this guy come from? He was a tight end, and then he was moved to the defensive lineman. He's fantastic, but he was so overrated because when he had, like, those three sack games, he was playing against some of the worst offensive lines in football, and when he played against those good offensive lines, he barely get any sacks. T.J. Watt, it doesn't matter who he plays against. It doesn't matter how talented the offensive line is. He is going to hit the quarterback, and he's going to damage Bruno offensive lines. I, I can lines. agree with that. The only reason I put Michael before him is because he don't get a lot of one-on-one action at all. You got the left tackle, the guard, and the uh, chipper. And somehow, some way, this guy's still he's fast. getting to the quarterback, mm-hmm. dude. Like, it's crazy. So this debate that people are having with the grass and the turf and how it's affected this game so far, a lot of the guests we've had on still say the grass is better. We had one guy, Trevor Price, that was split with the turf. Yep. He said he didn't care either way. Where do you stand on that? I don't care. We was at the end of AstroTurf. One way or another, we got to get it done. I remember playing on turf with sneakers. It don't get too much worse. I go to a lot of these kids' football games. We go to the 495, some of the best Long Island football players, 14 and older. We see all these all-star players, and we go to these fields in Hostra and stuff. like It's turf. It feels like cement. When these kids go up and you try to catch the ball and they land, depending on how cold the ground gets, it's like hitting cement. It's like playing on cement. I just think that the NFL is trying to go the cheap way out. It should be grass. Gives you a little bit more cushion. It saves your knees, your ankles, your Achilles. I think there are more injuries over the last 10 years because of these turf fields than they were when it was grass. Absolutely. The running back contracts. Oh. A lot of them are saying the same things, wanting to get paid by <laughs> their teams. Bull, feel so bad for running backs. We will work with scout team. These guys are getting tortured. Like, they go through more physical. I thought it was hard on the defensive linemen. Running backs are like real-life workhorses, and they deserve their due diligence, dude, because like, they could dictate a win or a loss. When you want to factor a game correctly, the rushing says everything, man. Like, how can you devalue guys who dictate the outcome of a game? A quarterback might have a bad day. Now they're handing the ball off over and over. You got Adrian Peterson back there, a Marshawn Lynch back there. Some of these guys who can run the rock the right way, and they're winning games with that. Like Pete Carroll airing the ball out cost them a Super Bowl. All mm-hmm. you got to do is hand it to Lynch. You can't devalue the running back. That game know? was rigged. How do you decide to throw the ball when you're on a three-yard line, 10 seconds left of the game, and all you have to do is give it to Marshawn Lynch. You have two timeouts. All you have to do is run it twice. He is going to knock the ball in. You win the game. How do you throw the ball? It makes no sense whatsoever. And Pete Carroll's answers at the end of the game makes no sense. They were expecting me to run the ball. And how many times did they stop Marshawn Lynch in that game? They couldn't exactly. stop him. What does that have anything to do with you're on the third yard line. All you got to do is pound it in twice. You're getting a touchdown. You win the game. You win your second Super Bowl. And maybe you're looked at as one of the greatest teams of this century. That's how good the defense was. They were that good. The Legion of Boom. And they're never going to be looked at as those Baltimore Ravens teams or that 
Chicago Bears team because right. they had a chance to win two Super Bowls in three years and they won one and they went to two Super Bowls and everybody gives Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson all the credit when it was really the defense and the running game. That, that's facts. You preaching. I couldn't believe that. What are they doing? Just like the Super Bowl with the Patriots and the Atlanta Falcons. That game was rigged too. Oh I, yeah, that was crazy. They had what, eight sacks first half? Yep. They didn't get a holding call the rest of the game. They didn't want it. 28-3 going into the fourth quarter. The chances of the Patriots coming back was 99.8% chance. And all Kyle Shanahan had to do in the game was run the ball. And he decided to throw the ball the last 10 minutes of the game. Kyle Shanahan did the same thing in the Super Bowl with the San Francisco 49ers as the coach against the Kansas City Chiefs. They had a 10-point lead with four and a half minutes left, and he decides to throw the ball. Does that run, make any sense? Run the ball. That, that's what I'm telling you, the importance of the running back. Run the ball, man. Kyle this Shanahan is-, is one of the most overrated coaches in NFL history. There's no question he can coach quarterbacks. You see what he's doing with Brock Purdy. You've seen what he did with Jimmy Garoppolo. You've seen every single quarterback that comes and plays for him. Look what he did with Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins became a successful quarterback in the league. The one thing he doesn't know how to coach is a whole team. The Atlanta Falcons had the second best running team in all of football when they went to the Super Bowl that year. You stopped running the ball. Then you had the number one running team in the NFL with San Francisco against Kansas City, and you stopped running the ball the last five minutes of the game. Does that make any sense? None. It's rigged. I told you. The NFL yep. Super Bowl is rigged. I don't think the whole season is rigged. I don't know what Arian Foster is thinking in his little pea brain, but it doesn't make any sense how it could be rigged all season. And you played in the NFL. You haven't heard anything when it yeah, comes to now, that. If it's rigged, it's through coaching and play calling. As far as us, it's impossible because we got money to get and we're not trying to give up nothing. Could you imagine Roger Goodell whispering into Kyle Shanahan, stop running the ball, start throwing it. Check for earpieces. <laughs> the Patriots have been caught a couple of times cheating. That was the whole thing at the start of that season. I guess the Steelers. Mike Tomlin was accusing Bill Belichick of <laughs> communicating through the headset. They had a little cameraman in the stand. They did, absolutely. And Eric Mangini, who was pretty much thrown away by Bill Belichick, he really stabbed him in the back when he did that. That was really, really funny. It's Patriot-like, because Patriot fans don't want to bring up how many times have they been caught cheating. All they care about is how many Super Bowls they have won. We could have cheated, but we still won six Super Bowls. <laughs> now the Steelers <laughs> are accusing them again of the 04 AFC Championship <laughs> game now. Jerome Bettis has come out and said, Oh, they were cheating in that too. I believe it. This organization, and I'm not taking anything away from the organization as a whole. Tom Brady is a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest. Bill Belichick is a Hall of Famer. In any sport we've seen over the years, you need to find a way to win. So what do you do if everybody is equal? You got to find a way to cheat. Hey, yeah, you yeah. ain't cheating, you ain't trying. That's the set. That's what I love <laughs> it. All... You should make a shirt. Bash, you ain't cheating. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. You ain't trying. That's what you should get that shirt. You should absolutely use that shirt at your studio. Man. Hey, you're started with the Patriots. Maybe it'll fit that mantra. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was my first thing. Bill was a good dude, though. As far as a person, I love Bill, man. Bill was different. He was special, man. But gotta give him credit. He's trying to compete, man. He's trying to find his edge whatever way he can. Yeah, well, boy, oh boy, did he ever find one. <laughs> or you could just be the LA Rams and try to rig the game where no pass interference called and uh, <laughs> screwing the Saints out of a Super Bowl. The lights up. We saw that in the Super Bowl. Baltimore Ravens in San Francisco. The lights went out. Oh, yeah. There were so many great conspiracy theories on that. My favorite one that I heard was uh, Sean Payton got suspended a whole year. He got revenge 
Artist Stadium. How's everything going when it comes to production and what you're doing over there at the studio? Oh, man, it's going good. Right now, I'm a co-founder for this new technology called YB3. It's a Web3 series for mm. uh, high school digital yearbooks and college. Hopefully, it hit Wall Street and do some big things. If you need any help, just call on me. Put the hands out there. Let's see. Come on. Look at this guy. Big seven. Don't be scared, man. Look at these small little hands. Tell me you can palm the ball, man. Seven years old. Can he spin the ball on his finger yet? I could do that. <laughs> they said, can you spin it on your finger? Oh, look at that. <laughs> you got a champion over there. That's what I'm usually doing, man. Basketball, two all-stars in basketball, one in basketball and football. It's me. It's you, <laughs> yes. He was touchdown king last year. 21 touchdowns. Is he playing defensive end, too? Could he get five defensive touchdowns? He probably could. He loves basketball. He'd probably be a defensive end, a quarterback. He's got big hands, too. man, for a seven-year-old. My yeah, hands are man. small. I work out, and I go to the gym with my uncle. He calls me Little Hands. He says, he's like, man, if you were Chinese, I would call you Little Hands. But I have very strong hands, so I can hang on a pull-up bar. I can watch a 30-minute TV show and just hang on a bar for 30 minutes without letting it go. That's how strong my hands are. And I do a lot of push-ups. I do 3,000 push-ups a week. My elbows will go numb. Dude. Yeah. Well, <laughs> how much do you weigh? I'm 230, and I'm doing 3,000. So that's a lot on my elbows. But when you look at me, I'm 230. I'm 41 years old. I'm in really good shape. I take care of myself. I like to eat, so I got I to gotta get to the gym, man. I got to pump some iron. You know, I don't want to look like Joe Thomas after he retires from football. <laughs> and according to our friend last week, Rich Soybert, ex-Giants offensive lineman, nobody can be that happy when you're that skinny. Nobody. Oh, it looks huge. When you get old, your head gets bigger. Your head, your nose, your ears. Everything gets bigger. You look awkward. So at least if you put on some weight and you put on some muscle and stuff like that, at least it fits your body somewhat. I'll tell you a funny story. This guy that works, he's a manager at the supermarket. I always go to ShopRite. He always talks to me about football. He's a big Broncos fan. I've seen him for 10 years. My mom was a manager at a supermarket before she retired. And I used to see him. Now he's the manager of the supermarket. And he comes over there to me. I haven't seen him in a couple of years. I didn't notice him. He's like, it's me. It's me. It's Gerald. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, well, it is Gerald. He's like, what happened to you? He says, my head got bigger. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I feel like. I'm like, dude, I'd be looking in the mirror like, wow. I'm not going to lie to you, Jeremy. It looked like a cereal box. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a big square head. I've never seen anything like it. But it's crazy. He says, you definitely look different. He says, yeah, my head got bigger. Hopefully his head wasn't bruised or anything after watching the Broncos play. <laughs> uh, no, no, my ego was. We really appreciate you, man. Keep up the good work. Let's stay in touch more often. I would love to get you on the show. Before the season's over, we'd definitely like to know your opinion. Who's going to the Super Bowl? Who's winning the Super Bowl? I love that you're doing great things, and your son is growing, and your family, you're doing fantastic, so I'm happy for you, man. Thank you, fellas. I wish you the same, man. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all guys be blessed, man. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime, my friends. Jeremy Mincy Production This guy is creating things Doing big things Before you know it This guy will be a billionaire Fantastic guy Great personality Great family man Can't beat it baby No sir And he doesn't have A big enough head yet I think my head's Bigger than yours Jeremy I'm a little bit older Than yours I think my head's Gotten a little bigger Uh, I'm getting there (laughs) That's why I'm wearing A playboy hat (laughs) That's why I got On my head I have a set of hair I've got hair Yeah look at this Look at this muff Yeah (laughs) It's a big muff man but i have the opportunity to show off my beautiful hair when i go on a cruise but keep up the good work we'll talk to you soon buddy all right guys y'all be blessed man thanks for you having too. me what a great interview that was to hear jeremy's perspective on everything in the nfl him playing in the league and all of that when we come back speedy and i are going to discuss damian lillard going to the milwaukee bucks what does that do for the new york knicks future of Giannis? can they still get him are the knicks now even further back of competing in the eastern conference don't go away here on the weekend crunch 
You are listening to the Week of Crunch here on 103.9 FM, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, Josh Silverberg, and of course, my co-host, Mr. Speedy Petey. We are going to get into some NBA talk. The NBA is right around the corner, and us Knicks fans, we're excited for the season after last year, Dante DiVincenzo in the building, but that's not as glamorous as what the Milwaukee Bucks were able to do, pulling off a three-team deal. DeAndre Ayton actually ended up going to Portland in addition to to Drew Holiday, Damian Lillard goes to the Bucks. Grayson Allen. I hate him. Everybody hates him that isn't a Duke fan. Oh, so Arrow's the only one that likes him. Actually, he even said, like, he's not even one of his favorites. Oh, joy. That's nice to hear. Duke guys. But yes, he ends up going in the deal. The Portland Trailblazers get two pick swaps, unprotected pick swaps in 2028 and 2030. A unprotected first round pick in 2029, as well as Drew Holiday, veteran point guard. Suns got four players in the deal. Yusuf Nurchik, longtime Portland Trailblazers center, goes there. And a couple of rookies and G League players. So that's what you got. Milwaukee, and now you get to pair him with Giannis. Well, isn't that a beautiful thing to hear if you're a Milwaukee Bucks fan? They made a statement. They basically said, okay, what are we going to do to salvage the relationship between us and Giannis? After Giannis went on a podcast the other day, basically saying, I want to win. I'm all about winning. I'm not going to sign that extension right now. And he still has not. And I don't think he's going to right now. I think he wants to see how this goes first. We all assumed Damian Lillard was going to go to the Miami Heat. The moment the trade happened, Jimmy Butler said, we have to check in for tampering. And then Tyler Hero said the same thing, which is kind of funny that Tyler Tyler Hero said that because Tyler Hero probably would have been in the trade. What this did for the Milwaukee Bucks is this put them, I think, at the top of the Eastern Conference, in my opinion. Now, look, you still have the Boston Celtics there with all their depth with Jason Tatum. We're going to see how he goes with Christoph Porzingis and Jalen Brown. I think it's going to be really good, actually. I think Porzingis is a good three there for the Boston Celtics. The Philadelphia 76ers are a disaster. James Harden clearly is not going to play for them this year, and it seems like he might even sit out. Now, the Clippers trade is not going to happen. You have the New York Knicks, who are coming off a good season last year, having Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart, now Dante G. Vincenzo. You're waiting for Mikael Bridges to eventually join that squad. And so they're trying to bring everybody on board, and eventually Jay Wright will be the head coach. And then, of course, you can't forget the Miami Heat, the defending Eastern Conference champs. When you look at the Milwaukee Bucks structure, it's a coup because you have Chris Middleton, who's going to be their three now, which I think will be very good for Chris Middleton's a great number three. Mm-hmm. He could be a number two on a lot of teams. He's going to be the number three. Now all the pressure is kind of off of Giannis's shoulders and you have a guy in Damian Lillard who can take that. One of the best point guards in the league Lillard's my favorite player in the NBA. Everybody says to me, did you think the Knicks were going to get him? No. Nor would I want that to be an option. I said I'd either want Giannis, I'd want Donovan Mitchell, or I'd want Embiid if you want to throw Luka in there and wait for mm-hmm. that debacle to happen in Dallas. Now listen, Dallas will not trade him to the Knicks because I don't think Mark Cuban's going to want to do the Knicks any favors because the Knicks have kind of screwed him the last couple of years with the Porzingis deal and then the Brunson thing. Maybe they'll wait for James Dolan to sell the team first. Dolan hates owning teams, but when I look at what the Milwaukee Bucks did, they have a new coach who they just brought in. We're going to give that some time to gel. If you're trying to be on the good graces of Giannis, this is obviously a huge step to making that happen. You bring in one of the more premier players in the league. You bring in one of the best guards in the league. And you bring in a guy who can play with the ball off of his hands. Drew Holiday won a championship with Milwaukee, multiple-time All-Star, one of the better defending perimeter players in the league. He's going to be missed in Milwaukee, but you clearly saw after that first-round exit from Miami. And yes, Giannis was not healthy, but Milwaukee, you know, you get rid of Boonehoser, and then you trade Drew Holiday. There needed to be changes. You see that with a first-round exit. They were the one, and they lost in the first round of Miami. It was embarrassing for them. Giannis was frustrated. He went on a podcast, and he said it. He wants to win. Damian Lillard seems to be accepting of this deal 
all the rumors that went around, Damian Lillard said, I'm only going to go to Miami or nowhere. I think that was a ploy to get him to go to Miami. But I've been in Milwaukee. It's a very nice city. Is it glamorous like South Beach is? No. But you're getting to play with arguably one of the top players in basketball. You can make the case he's the best player in basketball. With Giannis, now Damian Lillard gets to do that. It has to work, doesn't it, with these two? Because the two of them, I feel like, mesh. Look, I'm not going to go all Shaq and Kobe on this comparison. This is the closest thing we've been to a Shaq and Kobe tandem in a while. Name a big man that has the prowess of Giannis and the ball handling and the shooting skills and the -the off-the-ball skills as Lillard has. It's very difficult to find a tandem that's been that way for a very long time. Teams have tried it. Teams have failed at it. I don't know of a big man and a point guard of this caliber that has come close close to this as Giannis and Lillard have maybe since Kobe and Shaq. Now I'm not saying they're better than those two. <laughs> hey, Giannis can shoot free throws a little better than Shaq. Well, that's the <laughs> other thing. Everybody says Giannis needs to work on his shooting, and he does. His mid-range game is not great, but we know what he is inside the paint. He's a beast inside the paint. He plays defense. He's all over the court. It's health with him. I can't think of a big man guard combo that's had this skill set. I'm not going to count like Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. Giannis is a full range player. I'm trying to think of the big man combo guard that has been put together with these two that have the skill set since Shaq and Kobe. These are two top 10 players in the league. You look at the modern big man, you want somebody that's a little more well-rounded. Chris Bosh was kind of transcendent in being that because he could shoot the three. He could pass very well. And now you're seeing that kind of thing with Nikola Jokic, who's the best player in the NBA right now. And Giannis is the one that has the point guard skills and the size, has to work on the shooting, but is very good everywhere else too. And he's so position versatile too. And that's why this trade is effective for both Damian Lillard and for Giannis in terms of their usage rate. Giannis is not going to have to dribble the ball as much and Damian Lillard is going to take take some out of that too and vice versa Damian Lillard could be used more as a shooter show off that three point range because his three point range gets very overlooked when it comes to Steph Curry and Trey Young and Luka Doncic across the league like Damian Lillard has that kind of range too and that has gotten overlooked in recent years because he's had to play with a lot of rookies on this team so he's had to shoot more but he still scored 32 points a game last year so they could definitely take that next step now Middleton will have to stay healthy Brooke Lopez will have to stay healthy two guys that have had some injury issues and that's the wild card too is the new coach Adrian Griffin how good will he be comes from the Toronto Raptors. A good defensive prowess over there with Nick Nurse. That'll maybe make Damian Lillard's defense not god-awful, but if he can coach that next level, they can make that next step. I think it'll be them and the Celtics at the top of the East, and then maybe Miami too, but Miami's got to figure out how to score more offensively. Are the Knicks in the conversation, or are they still if one they make more a move, star yeah. player away? If they make a move during the season, they're in the conversation. They have they the are. ammo for it. Oh, absolutely. If they want to do it. No I question. mean, they have a boatload of picks. They have players like Quickly or Grimes. They had Obi Toppin and they traded him for a bag of balls, which I'm still trying to figure out that whole thing. I think that's <laughs> going to work with Halliburton in Indiana. You could say McGrady and Yao tried to work. It didn't culminate to anything. They tried Harden and Howard. They tried Harden and Bede. Luka and Porzingis, it didn't do anything. But the two styles work well. Lillard, offensive prowess, great with the ball in his hands, good with the ball out of his hands, can create pick and rolls like crazy with not just Giannis, but with Lopez as well. And then you have Giannis who does everything. Offense, defense, his mid-range needs to have work on, and he can't shoot a three. They also tried it with Curry and Cousins in Golden State. The next best guard-big man combo in the league today, you could maybe say De'Aaron Fox. It's a bonus. Murray and Jokic. Yeah, Murray and Jokic is a good one. Murray's great. He doesn't have the skills that Damian Lillard has. Do I think he can get there? Sure, 100%. But Damian Lillard's a whole nother case of special in the point guard position. Now, the bigger thing is, does this hurt the Knicks of trying to get Giannis? I'm not saying yes, 
it hurts them because we have to see how it works first. And if it doesn't work, Giannis is going to want out. Hence, he hasn't signed the extension yet. I'm sure Giannis is ecstatic about this. This was a desperate move by Milwaukee. They had to do something. And Drew Holiday is no slouch. Drew Holiday, whoever Portland trades him to, is going to get a haul back. And it could be the Knicks. They could get a quickly back and draft picks back. And then you could have a Drew Holiday and a Jalen Brunson backcourt, which would be really good. Because it would kind of hide Brunson's defensive deficiency with him in the backcourt. Now, again, Quentin Grimes does that already on defense, but he doesn't have the scoring ability that Drew Holiday has. Now, Drew Holiday is also 33 years old, but he's been healthy, though. That's why I think the Knicks should explore this. I would be very cautious with what you trade for Holiday. If you're the Knicks, you know Donovan Mitchell is going to come here in the next year or two. It's a foregone conclusion. It's the biggest giveaway. Hence the fact that reports are he's not even going to sign with Cleveland because he didn't want to go there. And then when he went to Cleveland, he got walloped by the team he wanted to go to with the Knicks. The Knicks are in a prime position to get a superstar. They just need to make sure they pick the right one. They need to make sure that they feel that the guy they're going to get is going to put them over the top. It's funny because Speedy Arrow and I all have different players that we want. I want Giannis. Arrow wants Devin Booker. And Speedy wants Luka Doncic. If the Phoenix Suns thing goes south, I actually think Nurich actually helps them. Now, again, I don't know if that Beal-Booker-Durant combo is going to yeah. work. It's one basketball for three guys that need the ball in their hands. If the Knicks get Devin Booker, it's going to be one of the worst defensive backcourts in basketball with Booker and Brunson. But I think the Knicks they have a prime opportunity to get that next superstar here, which they did not do in the past. They just have to make sure they pick the right one. Now, again, I don't think Philly's going to trade MB to the Knicks unless the Knicks give a haul. Because if you're Daryl Morey, you're sitting there saying to yourself, hmm, Harden's not coming back. What do we have outside of Embiid at this point that's going to put us over the top? We don't have anything. If you're Cleveland, if you know Mitchell is not going to come back, you let Mitchell stay this year and his contract's up after next season. So he's got two more years left. After this year, maybe you explore trades for Mitchell. And if you're Dallas and you see the Doncic team going south with Kyrie, which Kyrie's brewing that season last year for them. They were going to the playoffs. Oh, yeah. It's going to be interesting because the Knicks could give Dallas back that draft pick. Is Dallas going to sit there and say, is Luka Doncic worth that draft pick? But now the Knicks could give a lot. You could give up Grimes quickly. But then you have to also ask yourself the question, okay, it didn't work with Porzingis. When Doncic was out, Brunson carried him to the conference finals, and it didn't work with Kyrie. Is Doncic the problem? I don't know. Chris Stapps, Porzingis, and Kyrie Irving being the counterparts? I don't know about that. That's fair, but here's the deal, though. When Doncic was out, who carried them to the conference finals without Doncic? It was Brunson. And then Doncic came back, and they lost the series. It was Golden State. That's fair, but it wasn't even a competitive series. I don't think anyone was expecting Dallas to get that far anyway. No, but will Doncic fit the Knicks? Now, the Knicks would probably trade R.J. Barrett. They're going to have tra- to. They would probably trade quickly or Grimes. I don't think they would trade both. And they're going to trade a ton of draft picks. They might even ask for both Grimes and quickly. And if you're the Knicks, do you say no? If you trade for Doncic and you sign Donovan Mitchell after Julius Randle's contract is up, you now have Brunson, Doncic, Mitchell. But I think they should ask Brunson, did you like playing with Luka? Did you have a good relationship with him? If Brunson says no, they're not going to do it. Brunson's the face of the Knicks now. So whatever happens, it's going to go through Brunson, as it should. Unless Leon Rose continues to be the phantom like he is at the guard. <laughs> but I still think Giannis, if Giannis doesn't win a championship with Lillard, he's out. Because Lillard's only getting older. If it goes south in Phoenix, you can't trade Durant. You just traded for Bradley Beal. Devin Booker's probably going to be the one to want out. What did the Knicks give up for Devin Booker? then. Probably the same package for Luka. Is Devin Booker worth that package? There's certain guys that are worth that package. I think Giannis is one, but I think you have to say, before Mitchell becomes a free agent, 
and you could just pluck him in free agency, trade for one of these stars, and then sign Mitchell. And now you have your three-headed monster in Brunson, Mitchell, and another superstar. And that builds your team. You wouldn't be able to get a ticket to Garden if the Knicks have three superstars on the team. You can't even get one now. We'll see what happens. Is that always the case? Knicks fans have been waiting for that for who knows. Well, we think we got one in Brunson right now. It's just building around Brunson. Picking the right superstar. If they trade for like a Joel Embiid, is he the right superstar to bring to the Knicks? Would he put the Knicks over the top? You wonder only because of the injury. Embiid's one of the best players in basketball. It's the health. You have to be cautious with this and get this right if you're going to pluck your team away and what you've built. How do you do this? And who do you trade? Do you trade Barrett and quickly and Grimes all on a deal for one guy? Now, R.J. Barrett's going to be the headliner that goes in any trade. But we'll see what happens. I don't know who they're going to get. I don't think it's going to happen right now. Maybe at the deadline. I think more of a superstar player happens in the offseason, which is why it still bothers me that Carmelo did what he did with the Knicks. If Carmelo would have just waited another two or three months, he could have signed with the Knicks as a free agent. The Knicks would have kept all their depth guys, and then Carmelo could have just came here. And said Carmelo had to rush out of there in Denver and go, which annoyed me. I was excited they got Carmelo, but I just felt that if he would have waited another three months, he was a free agent, and he didn't wait. And then the Knicks got rid of everybody. We'll see what happens. I'm curious, but I think the Knicks will finish fifth or sixth in the conference again. They'll make the playoffs, and then we'll see what happens. When we come back, we're going to put a bow on this debacle of a baseball season here in New York. The Mets have a new president coming in next week, and possibly a superstar at West. According to Jeff Passan, which superstar was he talking about? And the Yankees, their season is a wrap. And why, I will tell you, Carlos Rodon is starting to remind me of a pitcher that Yankee fans are not going to want to hear. We'll get into all that when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. You ever see the movie Hot Tub Time Machine? I did not. Okay, I was going to say, it was funny because in that movie, the guy Lou, the character, it's supposed to be like a time-changing movie. He calls the band Motley Lou. Nice. And he's like the leader of Motley Crew. But we are back here at 103.9 FM, the LI News Radio Network. This is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Josh Silverberg, sitting in for Errol Marks. This week, of course, the co-host, Mr. Speedy PD. And you can check out all of the great shows at worldwidesportsradio.com and on your smart speakers and X now. It's great. It's wonderful. Well, gave you a little cliffhanger before the break as we put a bow on this disaster of a baseball season that it was. And the football season is slowly becoming that right now. And then we'll see the hockey and the basketball season start. And who knows? It'll be like the spinning wheel of garbage here in New York. That's what it is. But we'll start with the New York Mets. Their season is coming to a close. We don't know if it's going to be Sunday or Monday yet because the Marlins might need to play a game. Darn you, Anthony Kay on Long Island, man. You just had to just give up those runs. But the announcement is obviously that David Serge is going to become the president of baseball operations. The announcement is going to be made on Monday, depending on if the Marlins need to play that game or not. And this starts a new era for the New York Mets. This is basically Steve Cohen's white whale, as they say, was David Stearns. Harvard grad, Mets fan, did great in Milwaukee, winning multiple division titles with one of the lowest payrolls in baseball. From New York, worked for the Mets organization under Omar Minaya, who wanted to keep him with the Mets, and the Wilpon said no. He was an intern at the time. Full circle. This was the biggest giveaway, of course. We all knew this was going to happen at some point. And August, all the front office guys started to be let go. The minor league staff guys started to be let go. We know Billy Epler is good friends with Stearns. I would imagine Epler is going to be still the GM, but he's basically not going to have any say. Now, Billy Epler did a nice job of restocking the farm system. We've seen Drew Gilbert, Louis Angel, Acuna. We've seen Jet Williams fly and soar. He jetted his way up 
Maybe the Jets the system. Sign him. I think they could sign somebody at this point. It's embarrassing. But it was interesting. See, I always find that there's two guys in baseball whose word I think we should believe. One is Ken Rosenthal. The other is Jeff Passan. Because they usually don't give out misinformation. They usually are very good with their information that they give out. They're not like John Heyman, who's his arson judge. Or Bob Nightingale, who's the king of jinxing. So, Jeff Passan basically pointed out, he said the Mets are a scary team to go out and get Juan Soto this offseason. Because the Padres are going to cut back payroll. The season was a disaster. Josh Hader, they're going to lose in free agency. They're locked up in long-term deals with Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado and Hugh Darvish and Joe Musgrove. And they have a lot of guys on that team that are signed long-term. And they're not going to be able to sign Juan Soto long-term. That's number one. Number two, Juan Soto reportedly has preferred to be on the East Coast again. He is not a West Coast guy. He would like to be on the East Coast again. Number three, his infatuation with City Field. He says City Field is his favorite stadium to play in because he loves the fan base in New York and he loves playing there and he feels the vibe when he goes there. MLB minor league rankings, I believe, had the Mets fifth in baseball post-trade deadline. And supposedly the international scouting has already started. The Mets are supposedly signing the sixth best international free agent already. They have the most international money next to the White Sox and the Astros. So the Mets farm system is only just growing. Now they need starting pitching. They have Christian Scott, who's down in the Myers, had a very good season for them. You have Blake Tidwell. Mike Vassell is another one, but they need more. And then, of course, the draft is going to come up, and if they don't get six pick or above, they're going to drop 10 spots. If they get the seven pick in this lottery, they're going to drop to 17. Now, what could the Mets offer once, Soto? Well, they're not trading Ronnie Mauricio now. It clearly seems to me that Vientos is finding his stride as a DH. You're not trading him now. I think Brett Beatty is somebody that could be expendable because Mauricio, we've seen, have the arm talent to play third base. It's a matter of him playing defense, which we saw Luis Guillorme has been working with him. So if you're going to learn from somebody, you might as well hmm. learn from Guillorme. Guillorme, you're useful for something. I was going to say, if you <laughs> learn from somebody, it'd be from him. But I would imagine Mauricio could be in going as third baseman next year. Possibly. I don't think they're going to go after Matt Chapman, nor do I think they need to. No, he doesn't fit. Strikeout galore. Doesn't do any of that. And again, they've said that 2024 is not the year. They're going to be competitive, but it's not the World Series year we all think. They said 2025 is the year it's going to take off. Now, the New York Mets have a choice here. You could trade for Juan Soto and sign him to an extension now. He's going to be 24, which is insane. Or, if 2025 is your real year, you go and you sign Shohei Otani and you wait for him to pitch in 2025. And according to Ken Rosendahl, the two teams to get Otani are the Mets and the Dodgers. It's which one would Otani prefer and who's going to give him the most money, which we know the Mets would give him the most money, but does he prefer the East Coast? I've heard his tone has changed on that. If you had to ask me who would I rather have Juan Soto or Shohei Otani, I'm going to tell you I'd rather have Juan Soto. Younger, World Series champion. If you give him a long-term deal, you know what you're getting. He's 24. He knows the NL East. He had a rough year last year. He's had a very good year this year. 35 home runs. Yeah, career high. 96 RBIs. Had a 410 on base percentage. And that's in San Diego, a tough ballpark. On a bad team, by the way. I think Juan Soto is the route you would go. Now you say, well, Josh, you have to trade for that instead of just signing Otani. Here's the difference, though. Otani, I don't care what the injury is to him. He's still going to pitch. And people are going to say this is going to hurt his market. Teams that sign Otani are going to make up for it in the market by his jersey sales, by all the, the publicity, not just in the U.S., but in Japan. You make up for it. I'm just saying I'd rather go after the guy who's going to play in the outfield for me, than the DH. Because if the pitching does go south, then I just signed a long-term deal with the DH. I can't afford to have that. 
don't care how much money Steve Cohen has. There's a couple advantages for Soto, too, in terms of, one, durability. A very unique superstar in a lot of the advanced metrics, too, when it comes to, even for a guy that isn't overly powerful. Here we go, Mr. Analytics. BDPD, everybody. Good barrel rate, which was top 10 in the league this year, and consistently since he's coming to the league has had the fewest strikeouts and fewest chase rates overall for a lot of these like top hitters and that kind of thing is unique because you you kind of see some stars come in and they'll still have heavy strikeout issues like even somebody like Acuna who's had a great year this year when he was a rookie he had a lot of strikeout issues and same kind of thing with Pete Alonso a lot of strikeouts his rookie year Aaron Judge we all know a lot of strikeouts his rookie year we don't have that kind of thing with Juan Soto and that's what makes him unique and you're right the Mets have a ton of hitting prospects they could definitely trade in this deal now you're right they do need the pitching too and that's why I think they have a less of an advantage on Otani than the Dodgers do because the Dodgers probably don't need him to pitch comparatively. The Dodgers find these pitchers left and right. The Mets, we have not seen them try to recraft a pitcher and make it work like the Dodgers have done with all these random older guys and make it happen. I think they could trust their process a little more to say we'll just have you hit in 2024. I don't know if the Mets have that same kind of leeway because they need to find some pitching. Senga's had a great year. Maybe he's a top five Cy Young. Oh, he's going to finish top five. He's going to be up for rookie of the year. He's going to get all that and deservingly so. And they're going to being on Yamamoto, and I think Yamamoto's going to see what Senga's doing with the Mets, and he's going to say, oh, look at that. He had a great year with the Mets. Maybe I'll go there. People talk about the Yankees. Do the Yankees need a starting pitcher? Yeah, but I don't think to the level of Yamamoto. But the Mets are going to outbid anybody. Quintana had a good season, so that's helpful for them as a number three or four next year. Lucchese had a very good year this year. Let's not discount that. And let's not forget, Lucchese was once a top prospect for the Padres. Maybe he's finding himself. They have Mike Vassell down in the minors. They have Christian Scott, who had a two and a half ERA this year. Very good year for double A. And in single A, he's been good too. If you put Juan So in that lineup behind Lindor and Alonzo, there's your 2-3-4. The thing of it is, with Otani, you're giving this money for a DH. 24 to 29-year-old. It's a difference. Big difference. If you're going to give a nine-year deal to Soto, he's 24, he ends at 33. He's still got more years left after that. In my eyes, I'm spending that money on Soto. You could trade Kevin Parada, who I like a lot, but it seems like Alvarez is engulfed at the catching position. The only other thing you could do with Parada is put him at first base, but the report is they have the money agreement with Alonzo. The money is there. It's the years, which I think they'll meet at a happy medium at some point. So then first base is gone. So then where does Parada fit? He's blocked. But that's the thing that people need to understand about baseball. It's different than a draft for basketball or the NFL. You're not taking for need. You're taking for talent. That's why I feel like if you trade a Parada and you could trade Clifford, you could trade Alex Ramirez in there. I'm not touching Acuna and I'm not touching Gilbert or Williams. Those three are off limits. You want Parada? I'll give you Parada. You want Ramirez? I'll give you Ramirez. You want one of the guys they got from the Marlins in the deal for Robinson? You could have one of those guys. You want Clifford? We got in Houston? You can have Clifford. But I'm not giving anything else up. And if you want a guy on the Major League roster, you want Jeff McNeil? Take Jeff McNeil. I bet you McNeil would be very good in that ballpark in San Diego. I just feel like Soto's, I wouldn't say it's a no-brainer because that's too drastic of a statement. It's close. I do think the Mets are going to end up with one of those two guys this offseason. And then I think once they get Soto, they're going to give him an eight-year deal. He'll be done by the time he's 32 years old still. That's insane. You sign Alonzo. There's your three guys there. Lindor, Alonzo, Soto. At your core for the lineup. You can build around that. You could go sign a T. Oscar Hernandez. Let Mauricio hit. You have Alvarez. You still have Marte for another year. You hope he's healthy next year. You still have Nimmo. You have a nice lineup then. And then after next year, then you get into the starting pitching. Now, the starting pitching took a hit with Urias, who was never going to pitch again. I don't think they're going to go after Nola. I don't like Nola. I think he's I the, don't either. I think he's the most overrated pitcher in baseball. But we'll see what David Stearns thinks. Listen, he made a deal for Christian Yelich, and it worked. In the beginning, it worked. It wasn't his fault that Yelich had these back issues after. I like injuries, so. He won an MVP his first year. It was a good trade for Stearns. As far as the Yankees go, the Yankees are in a very 
interesting position. The Yankees have a lot of long-term deals with Aaron Judge, Garrett Cole, Giancarlo Stanton, Anthony Rizzo next year, LeMahieu another two years, Carlos Rodon. The Yankees have a lot of long-term contracts. And they have holes. They got to fill third base. I think Torres could be gone after the season traded. They need a center fielder. They need a starting pitcher, not a massive one, like a three or, or four. Severino's gone. And they need bullpen. And I left the cliffhanger before. And Carlos Rodon's final season number, zero innings pitch, eight runs, six hits, no strikeouts, two walks, ends the year with a 6.85 ERA. I've always heard that he's not been healthy. Well, then why was he pitching then? Clearly, he was healthy if he was pitching. If you look at Carlos Rodon's three best years, one year with the White Sox was an arbitration year. His next year with the White Sox was a free agent year. His year with the Giants was a free agent year. Why were the Yankees the only team to go after Carlos Rodon? Because teams were very skeptical of him and his injury history. And is he a flash in the pan because he's a free agent pitcher? When I looked at Carlos Rodon this year, it reminded me of a pitcher that I think Yankee fans are going to want to cover their ears for. And that guy is Carl Pavano. I see a lot of Carl Pavano in Rodon with the antics on the field blowing kisses to the Yankee fans not being happy he did not put up the numbers and if you're the New York Yankees how are you getting out of these contracts you can't get out of the Rodon one you got another five years now I know every Yankee fan wants Giancarlo Stanton gone like the Jeff fans want Zach Wilson gone it's not that easy they're gonna have to go the route the Mets did you want Stanton gone you're gonna have to eat about 80 85 percent of that contract he's got another four years left on that deal they're gonna have to eat about 80 percent of that deal like the Mets did with Scherzer and Verlander and get better players back and I just don't know if the Yankees are willing to do that now you can't run it back can you we're gonna do it again same team and then the Yankee fan says well the injuries were the problem this has been the same team for the last four or five years the injuries are always the issue the Rays had injuries all year they did fine and they also need a catcher Baltimore's getting better Tampa's always as I call them a scotch because that's what they are Toronto is okay I feel like they never put it together but also remember Vladdy didn't have a great year this year he likely they could have a bounce back next year Seattle is maybe getting better. Houston's always a thorn in the side. They just had a lot of issues this year. Houston with Alvarez hurt, Altuve hurt. Hunter Brown didn't live up to the hype they thought he would, which I'm going to give him another year. And then Texas, who's getting better? The AL Central stinks. I might even go there. The Yankees right now are probably the fourth best team in that division behind Toronto, behind Tampa, and behind Baltimore. Baltimore's going to be good. For the next five to six years before they let these guys go and they can't afford to pay them. Jackson Holiday's coming up next year. What do you think, he's going to get better? Speedy and I are Met fans. We know the Braves are going to dominate for years. The Phillies are good because they paid their way to be good. But now the Phillies are going to have an interesting dynamic next year because Noah's gone. Who's going to be the other rotations piece for Wheeler? So the Yankees have to figure this out. They're in a stretch where it sounds like Cashman's coming back next year. And it sounds like Boone's coming back next year. And I don't know how you sell that to the fan base without somebody rioting outside Yankee State. Because I think Yankee fans are annoyed because they're seeing the Mets are getting David Sturds and they're in on Juan Soto and they're in on Shohei Otani and Yankee fans are probably saying, why aren't we doing this? Why are we constantly bringing the same team back every single season? Now the Yankees are better than the Mets right now because the Mets just tanked. They got rid of everybody. But the Mets built their farm system to a top 10 farm system. The Yankees have one of the worst farm systems in baseball. That's the difference. And the worst thing was Dominguez was doing great. Now, Dominguez is out for next year. So it's another hamper. You thought you found your center fielder. He's out for next year. So you have to ask yourself if you're a Yankee fan, how do we get to the level of Baltimore, Tampa, Toronto, Houston, Seattle, Texas? We'll see about Scherzer next year. They're going to get their ground back at some point. But I just don't know right now what the future is for the Yankees because they're so locked into these contracts long term. I named like seven guys they're stuck with 
five of them they probably would love to get rid of. They'd love to get rid of LeMahieu. They'd love to get rid of Rodon at this point. They'd love to get rid of Stanton. They'd love to not have to bring back Rizzo. These are all guys that they're stuck with right now. They can't get rid of these guys. Anthony Volpe had a eh season. What did he hit this year, 205? Yeah, if he gets his on-base percentage up, that'll be the bigger key. So it's a matter of we don't even know what Anthony Volpe is. And it was good because the young kids came up and they were playing well. Dominguez was one of them. And he's gone next year. So I don't know what the Yankees are going to be next year. I think the Yankees have to have a different philosophy. I don't think Brian Cashman should be back. I don't think Aaron Boone should be back. I'm not going to fault it all on Aaron Boone. This is what Aaron Boone's been given. Constantly, he's over 500 as a manager every season. But why is Brian Cashman coming back? Why is he here on the right? Take a page out of what the Mets did. Eat money, trade off guys, get better prospects back. Yeah, the Yankees are stuck because it's a situation where a lot of those contracts are not tradable to the level that the Yankees would have been hoping for. But maybe besides Glaber, because Glaber had a good power year. They're going to trade Glaber. LeMahieu, definitely not what he was. Stan, obviously, one of the worst contracts in baseball with the way he played last year. And that's what makes it tricky for the Yankees right now. Their approach has just been too much in one direction. Now, they had to bring back Judge, though. Not Arson, it was Aaron. Judge still played great, even though he was hurt this year. He still played great in the 110 games or whatever he played. And that made a difference for him in making it justify the contract. And Garrett Cole, obviously pitching great. He might win a Cy Young. They still have not much consistent depth to be able to judge besides that. You've seen flashes of good, like you are saying with Volpe. Michael King, you saw this year, flashes of good. And some of the other young pitchers in the second half of the season pitched a lot better, kind of like the Mets. But the Yankees still have to change their sense of direction as a whole, too. And that's why I think you're definitely going to see a lot of these veteran guys traded. Baseball this year, teams that struggled were teams that had older hitters. We talked about the Padres earlier, and obviously the Mets, older hitters. Yankees, older hitters. Because the game is becoming more athleticism-based, and more of a younger person, versatile type game. And maybe the Yankees have to start those trends. And maybe it is not Brian Cashman. I think he's done well in some areas, but it's not him to go in that kind of direction. And yeah, maybe they do have to think about shipping him off. We'll see what happens for both teams in the offseason as it starts Monday. We'll see where it goes. When we come back, if you want to make some money, you're going to want to listen to this. We're going to have Money Line Mania with Chaz and Mo here on the Weekend Crunch. Oh. Little Ario Speedwagon Speedy. Yep. Okay, see, Speedy knows when I come on the show, it's all classic rock. Welcome back to the Weekend Crunch here on 103.9 FM, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I am your host, Josh Silverberg, this week sitting in for Errol Marks, and of course, my co-host, Speedy Petey. And now, if you want to make some money, this is the segment you should definitely be listening to as it is now time for Money Line Mania with Chaz and Mo. This is Money Line Mania with Chaz and the crew. We were laughing. Speedy has a little tick sheet, Mo, and he counts how many times you guys are on. And he says, you didn't have a lot of marks, but you were like one of the first marks, too. Yeah, you're damn right. Yeah. No, it's probably been since, what, February? I'm still putting CFL data on CFL action this weekend. Once the NFL starts, then I take it serious. I need the Cubs to win a game. The Cubs have led a bunch of teams right back in it. The Cubs have blown like 11 leads in September after leading after seven innings. We were on the radio when Preller first got here. When you're paying to be on the radio, you get perks. So we got to go to the press conference and the lunch at the hotel. Oh, it was just the greatest things were going to happen in San Diego. Worst press conference I ever went to was the day that Trent Richardson arrived in Indianapolis from Cleveland. That was one of the worst trades in NFL history for both sides. Oh my God. You guys got Trent Richardson and they got a first round pick and they drafted Johnny Manziel. All right, so let's do this. 
look at three games. I always start with the Colts because as long as I've known Mo, he's known more about the Colts than anybody else I know. And they're hosting the Rams, 47 minus one. Here's the thing about the Colts. They figured out a way last week to pull out a game without their starting quarterback, the phenomenal Anthony Richardson. Gardner Minshew uh, came in and, and made the Colts look like a contender, even though they're still kind of a sorry sack team on offense without Anthony Richardson. They got the Rams coming in who are, you know, surprisingly not terrible on offense this year. They are better than I think a lot of people thought they would be. It's going to be a fun game. I assume that a lot of points are going to be scored. The Colts have a pretty good linebacking core. One of their linebackers leads the league in tackles. However, they still allow a lot of points, but they have the most expensive kicker ever paid for in, in Colts history and Matt Gay, who was a hero last week, hitting four field goals over 50 yards. I like the Colts to win the game outright. I'm taking the Colts on the money line. I'm also taking Anthony Richardson to be the first touchdown scorer of the game. What is his odds? They're not very high anymore because he runs so often and gets in the end zone so often where he gets concussions and uh, hurts his leg. They're not super high odds, but I usually do a same game parlay where I can also use the uh, DraftKings boost to boost the odds by 50%. So he'll probably get me plus 675 between the two. Sometimes they're 11 to 1, a quarterback to get yeah. the first touchdown. Josh Allen won't be. The good quarterbacks who are big quarterbacks who are runners, you usually can get them at the plus 175, which isn't terrible when you're in the plus category. If you've got a boost, you can add on there too. It always makes it pretty nice. My favorite bet has become since the end of last season, the DraftKings early win up seven or uh, up 10 on the weekend. I did that uh, every week so far, and that's become my favorite bet in sports. That's their promo. You're not betting it if they're paying you. Unless you're an idiot and you pick the wrong team, but you just got to get your team up by seven at some yeah. point. And on the weekends, it's tens. Yeah, I do the tens on the weekends too. And I fit on those. I'm lucky a couple of times so far this year, but yes, that's become my favorite bet in sports. That's why my over is the favorite bet, because it's a bet that you could win and the game's still going. When the NBA, it was 13. If you can get lucky and pick the underdog to hit it, it's a real nice payout. We were watching one game. The first quarter, they were up 15. At halftime, they were losing by 15. Both sides would have won at a game that was tied at halftime. Yeah, week one, I think, with the Lions and the Chiefs in the opening game, I think it paid me like 335. It's been a nice bet so far. It's kept me uh, definitely in the positive. The Rams in their last five games have gone under in four of them. On the road, they score 16 or less in five of six. They allow 19 or less in three of three. Now, some of these numbers are 11 and 1, 11 and 2, 7 out of 7, 9 out of 10. This is going back for a while. This is saying this is an organizational trend because it's from last year as well. Indy, they score 21 plus and 4 of 4. They're allowing less in every single game, the same or less in every game, five straight games. At home, their own four against the spread in the first half. In the last nine out of their 10 games, they have scored 10 points or less at home in the first half. During that run, they are 1 and 9 against the spread. Craps, what do they call it, Mo, when you're betting against the people you're betting the house i don't play crafts because i'm not smart enough to figure out how to win and so if i don't know how i'm going to win or lose money in the game i don't play it crafts it looks fun but i'm too dumb to figure yeah, it out when you see it's one and nine you know you could have been nine and one and nine and one is pretty good the difference is though this colts team is different this year because of a dynamic quarterback it has made a difference the colts have always been older pocket passing quarterbacks so with the threat of anthony richardson to run it has definitely changed the scoring for this team the way defenses go about playing them so the colts have been scoring points this year so far in the first half which has been a nice change from how terrible they were last year. And then Miami is at Buffalo. Is there a bigger game? That Detroit-Green Bay game Thursday was a big game. Yeah, it was a big game. It really set the tone for, I think, who's going to be the head of that division there in the NFC North. And when you look at this game, you don't want to let down. You come off of a game when you could have scored the most points in NFL history, but Mike McDaniel decided to take it easy on the Broncos there at 
end. You come off a big win like that, and the last thing you want is a letdown this week. If you're playing fantasy, two running backs with four-plus touchdowns each, that's phenomenal. But you're going against a Buffalo team whose defense is good. I don't know that it's as good as last year's team. The offense has shown some signs of being dynamic again, but I, I think there's still a missing piece there or two. Miami's defense hasn't been terrible. It's going to be an interesting game. This could be one of those shockers to us that we're expecting a ton of points to be scored, and we wind up seeing some type of weird defensive battle. I hope it's not that because I want to see these teams run up and down the field. The over seems like a smart play here, but it's so hard to go, oh, wow, this seems obvious. This should be easy, but the over seems like an easy play. Taking Tyreek Hill like I do almost every week to score the first touchdown in this game, mostly because I want to win money, but second, mostly because he's on my wife's fantasy team, and when he scores, she becomes happy. Everybody's happy. The family mm-hmm. wins together, baby. The weather says it's perfect. Football weather. If you look at Miami, their rookie running back, Shane, he was playing because two of their other running backs were hurt, and I don't know how you don't play him again with Mostert again this week. So I look for some big things from the Dolphins. Buffalo has been kind of a curious case so far. They're a little Jekyll and Hyde for me so far this year. Josh Allen has made some terrible decisions early on in the season, trying to force the ball in a little bit, turn the ball over too much. I'm not sold on Buffalo yet. I know Buffalo's been a favorite pick for the last few years. Their defense, there are some injuries there still. You want to come out and see, you want to see a great game, but who's going to be the first to stop the track meet that is the Miami? Dolphins. Here's what they did last year in their head-to-head. The combined score was 51 to 50. So you can't get much more coin flippy than that. Miami is on a 6-1 and one against the spread run. On the road, they're 4-0 against the spread, and they've scored 24 or more in all of them. So I don't know if anybody's going to stop that, Mo. Buffalo's 4-1 against the spread. They've scored 32-plus in 5 of 6. When they play at home in their last 6, the over is 5-1. They've scored 27-plus now in 11 of 12. I'm betting money that they're going to score. I'm betting that bad. If I see 11 out of 12, I'm betting that bad. In the second half, they score 11 points in five straight, which is nice. Yeah, and I think the Dolphins learned that they've got to keep Tua in the game. When he was out of the game last year, things fell apart for the Dolphins. The other big story of this game is going to be that DeMar Hamlin returns to play his first game since he basically died on the field in Cincinnati last year, so that's going to be a really cool aspect of that game, too. That rocked our souls when it happened, for sure. I'm doing a lot of round robins, Mo. It's keeping me happy, and then the other thing, when you were mentioning your same-game parlays, I just was curious on the odds, because what I'm learning from Benton with Paolo and soccer, you got to find four things that are sure going to happen. Unless Aaron Rodgers breaks his leg, it's going to happen. That's how you're going to lose these bets. You can get them together and you can get plus 160. You could take four negative things and get plus 160 out of them. And they're all things that are going to happen unless the Lord changes things. There's nothing worse than doing that and waiting for that last thing to happen. Week two, I took a parlay with six quarterbacks to throw two-plus touchdowns. All the ones that were having bad games in the early hit, I needed Tua to throw two touchdowns in that game to win me $600. I could have cashed out early for 117 I said, ah, go for it. It's Tua. So we go for it, and Tua couldn't muster but one touchdown that game, and I should have cashed out early and took my money instead. I watched it all go down the drain on the Sunday night football game. Your only other option there is to find a book that gives you the ability to bet under two and then hedge. That's it. You know, and that becomes work. Hedging is work, but it's a big part of the game because if you're about to win ten grand and you got 2500 invested and you can guarantee you get that $2,500, you are not looking at that as I've lost $2,500. you are looking at that as you've got the worst-case scenario and you're not losing a penny. And that's a comfortable way to watch a football, any game. If you're betting Sunday night, how many times are you betting that NBC shows a picture of Taylor Swift and her suite? <laughs> yeah, that's a Super Bowl prop. We're going to go with the biggest game on the board of the 14 
18-pointer, right? Yep. And that's Arizona at San Francisco. That's a late game. I love the Cardinals. San Francisco's phenomenal. Brock Purdy's doing what he did uh, all year last year that made them a, a great team. The defense is fantastic. When you've won a couple weeks in a row with the Arizona Cardinals, it, it's hard to not go with them again on a point spread that big. I mean, they're still an NFL team, and you would hope that they can keep it within 14 points. Josh Dobbs, to me, you're talking about a guy who's picked up two weeks before the season starts, comes in and plays like he has, and you look at all the money that that team has spent on Kyler Murray, it seems like kind of a waste. Is he Kyler Murray? No, but has he managed the games pretty darn good? Yeah, I think Josh Dobbs has been phenomenal for Arizona, a team that's tried its hardest by trading away most of their players in the offseason that were decent to lose and try to get that number one and number two pick because they own the Texans pick next year. They've played good. They should have won the game against Washington. They won the game against Dallas last week, and now they're going to try to take down the mighty San Francisco 49ers. Do I think they win the game? No. I just hope they can keep it within 14 because I'm going to ride my Cardinals again this week. I'm taking the Cardinals and the points, and I'm going to take Christian McCaffrey to score the first touchdown of the game. What a perfect fit it was, but I was underestimating how good he really was because he wasn't on a good team. He was on an okay team. He made better, but he's on a good team now, and he makes them great. They are a great team, and how I know they're a great team is I just see how they score points, and their team total keeps going up, and they keep hitting it. Head-to-head, these two, of course, in the same division. The two games last year, and then the two games in the Easy Sports data for the games in San Francisco has been 107 to 40. Arizona is 5-1 and one against the spread, but they scored 19 or less in 4-4. Four four. Now, I watched that Dallas game. Dallas didn't play good at all, but Arizona played football. They won the game. It wasn't like they just gave it to them. San Francisco, 9-2 against the spread. They scored 30 plus 6-6, and they're 6-0 and in their last 6 at home against the spread, scoring 30 and 5 straight. So that's my play in this game, the team total over for San Francisco. Well, you know a team is good, too, because how many teams can make a mistake at the top of the draft on the quarterback and still be as good as the 49ers are? That doesn't happen too often. You think about teams that have made mistakes on quarterbacks at the top of the draft, and they tend to be bad for a long time, but San Francisco wasn't even a speed bump for them. Trey Lance was destined to Dallas, and Brock Purdy is well on his way to taking this team to the promised land. I got a, a team that's 1-9 against the spread in the first half, and it's a pick game. I'm going with the under. I'm going to assume there's going to be some haplessness. Got the 49er team total over, and I have the Buffalo team total over. So I don't really care who wins at any of my games, and that right there is why I love sports. It was funny because Vicky fell right into the hype that is Deion Sanders. Just got sucked in like it was a black hole. Vic, you don't even like college football. How do you now have a favorite team? <laughs> My stepson lives in Boulder, and it's all prime hype out there. Yeah, and here's the issue. I'm in the heart of Pac-12 country, and so I see the teams they're playing. The problem with Colorado is it's still got a lot of Jackson State players, and eventually, when it gets to the heart, it's going to have some games against guys like Oregon, and then it did. It had one. You could see the difference between guys that went to Jackson State for a reason. Sure, they got a chip on their shoulders, but the bottom line is when you have some of those teams, those offensive linemen are NFL ready. They don't have to leave anymore. I think if Travis Hunter would have played, I don't think they would have won, but I think it would have been a little closer. If Dion stays there for a while, give it, you know, a couple, three years, and he could have a pretty decent program there because I think oh, a lot yeah, of kids are going to want to come there. play for him. He could win there. He could win anywhere. However, I think he's going to go over in the win total. I would have lost that bet. I didn't make it. Three and a half, four and a half. It's exciting. It's, it's something that the teams out west definitely needed to bring 
some hype back to the Pac-12 for now, as it still stands. Even when they lost, they lost with class. That's what I want. No excuses. You saw the score. They're better than us in every facet of the game. We've got to get better. Definitely good to see you guys again. Hopefully I can be available uh, next Friday, too. Mo, it's great seeing you, of course, so always. Until next time, always be cashing, huh? It's good uh, seeing you, Mo, man. We'll I know it's been it. a while. I want to thank the guys, Chaz and Mo, for joining us from Moneyline Mania this evening. That was awesome, as always. When we come back, though, Speedy, what time is it? Wrench time! Here on 103.9 FM, the LI News Radio Network. You don't want to hear me sing, Speedy. Uh, Based on that reputation, probably not. (laughs) No, but it is the heat of the moment. You are listening to 103.9 FM, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Josh Silverberg. Of course, Speedy Petey. Speedy, what time is it? It is time for K-Wrench Time! It's time for Crunch Time. All right, we're to start Crunch Time with a little bit of odd one for NFL. So Travis Kelsey or one of the Chiefs wide receivers will have more receiving yards in the Chiefs-Jets matchup than Zach Wilson will have passing yards. Oh, that's messed up. <laughs> I said it was a weird one. I don't think he's going to be that bad, Zach. He might. I'm going to give Zach at least an ounce of pride here. I know Travis's girlfriend's going to be up in the press box, but no, I don't see that happening. I think Zach will do okay. The Chiefs defense is good, but it ain't elite. I'm going to sell that one. Yeah, I'm going to buy that one because I actually think Kelsey could have close to 150 receiving yards in this So game. you're on the Swifty train. I am on the train of the New York Jets don't make adjustments. You're on the Swifty train. Apparently, from that standpoint. Okay. And I'm also on the train of Jeff Ulbrich doesn't make adjustments. The Jets have trouble stopping tight ends anyway. And Does that Quincy Williams block them? <laughs> yeah, well, Or Sherwood? Maybe. One can only hope. But it's Don't have C.J. Mosley do it. It's going to take a lot to stop Travis Kelsey. And yeah, while Zach Wilson might throw, throw under 100 yards, he's still going to be in the low 100. So I am going to buy that one. All right, let's go to college football. Mississippi State at home will cover 14 and a half points against Alabama. You're kind of seeing the Nick Saban train, right, fall off a little bit. No, I don't think they're going to cover it. I know Alabama doesn't have a quarterback. They have an issue right now. You're starting to see the nil deals affect Alabama. But I just don't think Mississippi State has the depth to be able to stand up with Alabama. I'm going to buy that one because I have not trusted Jalen Milrow yet. And I think some of these new receivers. Well, they keep, he keeps switching the quarterback every six plays. I don't even know what I, he's doing. Yeah, and that makes it tough for me to trust that offense on a consistent basis. Now, Alabama has a better offensive line. They do have a good running game. And like you said, Mississippi State, Mike Leach not being there, unfortunately passing away. They have a new coaching staff. So a lot of adjustments all at once. Mike Leach had the best interviews ever. Ever. The candy corn one <laughs> is still great. Yep. Just his tweets, too. Like, it's just random philosophies of everything. It was was just so great. But I do think they ended up covering because I just don't trust Alabama's offense right now. So I'm going to buy that one. All right. By ourselves, the Mariners will knock the Astros out of the playoffs. I'm going to buy it. Houston's struggling right now. Houston's got to win at least two out of three against Arizona this weekend. Arizona's fighting for a spot too. It's going to be tough to see because I feel like judging by how the schedule's playing out, I don't know if Houston's going to be able to overcome this. And look, if they have an off year, it happened. I'm going to buy it. I think Seattle's going to hold on. I think Seattle's going to get in. Don't forget, Texas is trying to win that division. So they're going to be playing a hard 
too, but Seattle's the home team in this series. I'm going to buy it. I think Seattle will knock them out. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too because I think Texas' offense too has been kind of streaky at, at certain points in the second half of the year too. So I think that starting pitching can definitely hold it off. You saw Logan Gilbert in Thursday's game pitch very well in that, and they ended up walking it off in the bottom of the ninth after they were down 2-1. to one. And they have a lot of depth. And Houston, like you said, is just kind of a weird string of inconsistencies. I like Arizona a lot, and I think they're going to be still hungry for the holding off that final playoff spot too. Even more so, maybe not wanting to have to play the Braves either potentially down the road. So I'm going to buy that one as well. I think Seattle gets in. All right, back to the NFL. Both Ramondre Stevenson and Tony Pollard have 100 scrimmage yards in their matchup. I'm going to sell it. I actually think both are going to struggle. I know Dallas's run defense has been shaky. New England has a very good run defense, but again, all Belcher does is stack the line. But I think it's going to be tough for both those guys. I think you're going to have to get a little more creative. I don't even think Lamb's even going to be. I, would, I actually think Brandon Cooks might have his breakout game for Dallas if he plays. <laughs> Brandon Cooks' revenge game on the Patriots. Yeah. <laughs> for the one year he was there. Yeah, really. Yeah, I'm going to sell that one too because I think you look at Dallas's run defense in the middle still being strong, and that's where most Stevenson's carries have come this year. Receiving-wise, he had a couple issues with drops last week against the Jets. Granted, some of that was the weather, so I don't think he gets there, and and Tony Pollard, I think he'll do well in the receiving yard department, but I think the Patriots up front are very stout in the middle. I am going to sell that as well. All right, back to college football. Number 17, Duke, will upset number 11, Notre Dame, at home. If Notre Dame doesn't put 10 men on the field, on two plays in a row, really? No, I'm going to sell that. Notre Dame should have won last week. They screwed up. Definitely mismanagement, bad coaching. But they actually showed a little something against Ohio State. Ohio State doesn't have a quarterback this year, so it's tough to tell. But I still think Notre Dame will pull it off somehow. I wouldn't be shocked if they don't. I'm going to sell it, but I'm not confident. Yeah, I'm going to sell it, too. I think you also look at the Notre Dame offensive line being very stout, too. Duke had a very good pass rush in their game against Clemson that they won. Some of the other games that they've had this season, they've relied on that with their defense. But I don't think they're going to do that on Mike Oltz and that Notre Dame offensive line that's been tremendous this year. I don't think Sam Hartman is bad for two games in a row, either. So I agree with you. I am going to sell that. All right, let's go to the National League wild card. One of the Cubs or the Reds will knock out the Marlins from their playoffs. That's a sell, I think. I think the Marlins control their own destiny at this point. They got the Pirates this weekend. Yep. I think they're going to get it, and hopefully they get it so they don't come back Monday, because I'd like Stearns to be introduced as the Met president, <laughs> and I don't have to wait. I still am going to buy the Anthony K sandwich at Seaport Deli, by the way. <laughs> That's not going to change. I'm going to sell that one. I think it's going to be too difficult. The Marlins could easily screw this up, though. Now, don't forget, Alcantara is also out for the year. That's a killer for them, but he wasn't pitching that great to begin yeah. with. But I'm going to sell that. I think the Marlins are going to hold on and get this. I would have liked to have seen Dela Cruz in the playoffs. That would have been fun. Yeah, the Reds, I thought at the All-Star break, actually, were going to win the division. I thought the Brewers were going to sell off pieces because maybe they knew Stearns was leaving and they were kind of in mediocrity. But that as it comes to ace, the Reds' offense has really struggled in the second half of the season. Like you said, De La Cruz has been flashy but inconsistent statistically. The Cubs' bullpen is not trustworthy whatsoever. So, yeah, I'm going to sell that one as well. All right, last one. In the Bills-Dolphins game, all four of Stephon Dix, Gabe Davis, Jalen Waddell, and Tyreek Will have 70 or more receiving yards. By it's going to be that kind of game. It's going to be an air raid kind of game where it's just going to be a free-for-all between Allen and Tua. I could see. I'm going to buy that one. I'm going to sell it because I do think Tredavious White has played very well so far this year, and I do think Jalen Waddell, he was hurt last week. He's coming back. How healthy will he be coming back from a concussion last week? I think White is going to make it tough on him at certain points. I think they'll switch it off with him and Hill, but 
he'll he's owned the Bills his whole career. He'll definitely have 100. I think both Bills guy definitely could, but Gabe Davis is kind of streaky to trust too. So I am going to sell that. Well, that was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, welcome so, back. Well, did I ever feel welcome back? And thank you, Speedy. Of course, for always welcoming back. Yes, thanks um, for coming back. Yeah, absolutely. Well, of course, that. man. I always have fun doing this and filling in when I possibly can. I know Errol will be back next week, and Errol does an amazing job. But I'm also excited for my show, October 13th. Friday the 13th. Yeah, Eric Bo coming back to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. So that's going to be a lot of fun and exciting for Game On. And of course, you can check out Sports Loudmouth with Errol and Speedy Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m., a normal time, which we had that when I was there, but we changed everything when I left. But that's okay. But I did enjoy doing this, and I appreciate Arrow for letting me fill in and doing this, of course, and having fun with Chaz and Mo and those guys. And oh, yeah. It's a lot of fun, and it's fun coming into the studio when I can. I had a blast. Speedy, I hope you did too. Yep, both you and Mo with the uh, triumphant returns for the first time since <laughs> February. <laughs> <laughs> was it that last time I was here since February? I think so. Well, that is it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in. Hopefully you stay dry. Hopefully nothing got flooded in your area, and hopefully everybody is okay in your area, of course. This was really bad, but... But hopefully we get a little bit of a break for the next couple of days, which it seems like we are in the 70s and the 80s. Good luck to the Jets and the Giants. The next two days, they're going to need it. We were so pumped for the baseball season, and that went kaput. And then we were pumped for the football season, and that ended once the Cowboys romped the Giants and four plays into the Jets season, just like that. And we get ready for basketball and hockey. We spin the wheel here in New York. Hasn't had a championship in this town since the Giants in 2012. 11 years now. It might be 12 soon, which is sad, but that's the reality. But thank you so much again to... 103.9, thank you to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network for always letting us give you entertainment on this Saturday night. Hopefully everybody stays safe. Enjoy your Sunday of football watching. We'll see about the Ryder Cup if the U.S. comes back. I doubt they will. So for Speedy Petey and for myself, Josh Silberg, thank you so much for listening and tuning in. You've been listening to 103.9 FM, the LI News Radio Network. This has been the Weekend Crunch. Take care, everybody. I'll talk to you soon. Speedy Nair will be back next week. Bye-bye, everyone.